we're to be a content people in every situation. And this morning, we're going to kind of piggyback on that uh, as we close out this series. You know, our feelings go up and down. They're based on circumstances. Uh, they go all around. And, and the Bible, because of that, says that we're not to live our lives, we're not to stake our lives on our feelings. And there is nothing uh, more true to that than, than thankfulness. I was, I was looking at, at how feelings change in our culture. And so I went back and I looked in history a few, a few things. Um, in 1946, for example, 54% of Americans felt like they wanted the United Nations to take over the armed forces of every country in the world, including the United States. These are Americans. Now, this morning, if you still feel that way, you would, I, I would hope, be in the very... Uh, few minority or, or, you know, one of the very few people that would still want that to be the case. But in 1946, a majority of Americans wanted the United Nations to be over the militaries of the world. January 1965, 71% of Americans felt like the Vietnam War was right. Not even three years later, the number was less than 35% who were still supportive. 1991, I actually remember this. Um, President H.W. or George H.W. Bush had a staggering 90% approval rating to his presidency. Less than one year later, that number had dropped to 29%, and he went on to lose his presidency as a result of that. And then, probably the greatest example is AD 33 or 333 AD. A Jewish man by the name of Jesus rides in to Jerusalem on a little donkey. To thousands and thousands of people holding palm branches, celebrating his arrival. And five short days later, those same people, those thousands and thousands of people, show up in the town square, yelling, crucify him, crucify him. And the Bible says that that's indeed what happened. Our feelings rise and our feelings fall. They go up, they go down. And as a result of that, the Bible says we can't stake our lives on our feelings. It's got to be something that's anchored far deeper, whose roots go, go much further into the ground than our feelings that, that flow with the wind and flow with our circumstances. And so this morning... As we close out this series, that's exactly what I want to look at. So if you have your Bible, we're going to be in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. As we close out this series, 10,000 Reasons, A Season for Thankfulness. And we see that our lives gotta be, uh, must be, got to be grounded in something far greater than our feelings. In something that, that is anchored far deeper than our feelings. So this morning, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and we're going to start in verse 15. Verse 15. Now, before we look at the text, we're going to be given four commands. Four commands in this passage. And they're in the imperative. If you look in the original text, they're in the imperative. Which means that if you know Christ, if you have been, if you've given your life to Christ, if you've been bought light by His blood this morning, then these are not up for negotiating. You must do these. These must be a part of your life. There's no room, wiggle room. There's no room for debate. This must be a trait of your life. Now, I will tell you, they are very easy to understand. But they have these modifiers that make them extremely difficult to obey. 
So while it's easy for us to understand in our brain or in our mind, seeing them uh, lived out in our lives and, and bought in our heart is, is a whole different story because these modifiers make it extremely difficult. In fact, impossible if you don't know Christ this morning. So, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, starting in verse 15, it says this. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek the good to one another and to everyone. So the Bible says that we are, when somebody does evil against us, when somebody wrongs us, we're supposed to repay that with good. Now, I know for me that's an easy thing to do, but for you, it might be a little bit more difficult when somebody wrongs you to not want to get even. And that is just a joke. That There's nothing more difficult, I think, than when somebody wrongs me than to say, you know what? I really want to seek to do good to you. In fact, I'm going to pray that good comes on you, even though you've done wrong to me. It goes against, it, it's counterculture. Because our culture lives by this idea that if you do evil to somebody, somewhere down the line, evil's going to be done to you, and it's going to be, it's going to be payback, and you deserve it. But the Bible says that when evil is done towards you, we're not to repay that person for evil. In fact, we're supposed to hope Pray, seek the good in everyone. Look for the good in that person. If believers would live by this one truth alone, we would stand out like a sore thumb in a way that honors Christ. Our culture would be changed as a result of this one truth, this one imperative, this one command. That when somebody wrongs us, we don't want evil to come upon them, but we want to, we're going to pray for good. We're not going to repay evil for evil, but we're going to repay their evil towards us. We're going to repay it with good. Like I said, it's easy to understand, but putting it into practice is a far different thing. But it doesn't stop there. The next verse tells us, rejoice always. Now, your text may say, be joyful in every situation or, or be joyful in all situations or something like that. And the easiest way to explain this verse is to tell you what it doesn't mean. What the Bible is not saying is to be happy in every situation. Paul is not writing to, to believers down through the ages and saying, hey, when things are going bad, I just want you to put on a happy face. I want you to fake it, so to speak. Paul's not telling us to do that. He's saying happiness is going to be contingent upon your situation, upon your circumstances. When things are bad, you're going to be sad. When you walk into the doctor's office and they give you bad news, you're going to be sad. When your husband shows up on your front step, on your front doorstep, and he says, I'm done with this marriage. I'm done. Paul doesn't tell us to put on a happy face and pretend everything's all right. No, he tells us to be joyful or to rejoice always, to rejoice in every situation. And joy is something that's completely different from happiness. It, it is not dependent upon circumstances. It's not dependent upon our situation. It's not dependent upon the report from the doctor. It's not dependent upon the report from the MRI. It's not dependent upon the way your husband loves you or the way you love your husband. It goes far deeper than that. It's rooted in something far greater. It's rooted in a person that doesn't move. That doesn't change. That's consistent in every situation. So this morning, we're, we're told to 
When somebody wrongs you, to do good to them. To pray for good, for goodness. To seek it out. To find it in every situation and in every person. And then to rejoice always, no matter what the situation may be. No matter what you find out. If the good things are going well, we're to rejoice. If things are going poorly, we're to rejoice. If we get great news, we're to rejoice. If we get uh, life-shaking, shattering news, we're to rejoice. Because our rejoicing, our joy is not contingent upon the situation. Our joy is not dependent upon things going our way. It goes far deeper than that. Verse 17. Pray without ceasing. The commands continue to be difficult. Now... Paul is not saying that he wants us to always be in a posture of prayer as far as uh, on our knees, our eyes closed, our head, our head bowed. No, he's saying that when we walk through life, when we go through the, the, the average day of life, when, when we're shopping in, in, in uh, Walmart or Target, whatever story you choose, when we're in our jobs, when we're in the marketplace, when we're in our class, we're to see God at work and then to acknowledge it. We're to look for opportunities to see God at work in our lives and in lives of those around us. And then give Him thanks, give Him praise to acknowledge the work that He's doing. I'm trying, when I was trying to think of an example of, uh, of this, I thought about my grandparents. They were married for, over, for almost 60 years, just under 60 years. And when you're a teenager and you hear, uh, well, I can just finish his sentences. It really, you, you kind of want to throw up in your mouth and swallow it. But when, you're, when you've been married for about 60 years and your granddad sees your grandma pass away from Alzheimer's and is there by her bedside every day. And then after she's gone, she'll, he'll, he'll see situations, he'll see things happen, sees things happen. And he'll say, hey, your grandmother would have been rolling when, it, when this happened. Or your grandma, this was a really frustrated grandmother. He, he knew her. He had lived life with her. He had had conversations with her. He knew how she would respond to situations. He knew how she would react when certain things happened. He knew how angry she would get when, when she saw an injustice for somebody who couldn't take care of themselves. And he could with confidence say, this is exactly how grandmother would have responded to this situation. And in effect, that's exactly what Paul is telling us whenever he says to pray without ceasing. He's, he's saying, I want you to be connected to the Father, or to the Son, through the Father, or to the Father, through the Son, excuse me. I want you to be connect, connected to the Father. So that way, when things happen, you know exactly how God would respond to this situation. Because you're constantly in conversation with Him. And just like my granddad could speak for my grandma... After almost 60 years of marriage, that's exactly what, as followers of Christ, we can do for Him. Because we're constant conversation with Him. We know exactly how He would respond in any situation. So Paul tells us to pray without ceasing, to seek God at work, in those around you, and in your own life. And then to acknowledge it. To understand how God would respond to every situation because you just know it. Because you talk to him. And then it gets to the verse that's kind of our key verse for the day. Give thanks in all circumstances. Now notice 
that the text does not say to give thanks for all circumstances. That's not possible. I mean, as we've said, injustices happen. When wars happen, when, when things happen to, to widows and orphans that, are, that do not honor and glorify Christ, we're not to give thanks for that. However, we can give thanks in that. And that's vastly different. And the reason that we can give thanks in that is, is there, there, there's three reasons that I wanted to just point out very quickly this morning. Three truths, excuse me, that we can hold on to. Three truths that we can give thanks. Three reasons we can give thanks in every situation that our lives come across. And th- these are the three reasons. Number one, we worship an all-powerful supernatural God. I put down in my notes, the natural world and everything else answers to Him. So when things go our way, we can give thanks in that. When things are going poorly, we can give thanks to that. Because we worship an all-powerful God who answers to Him. Are we, uh, the world answers to Him. Excuse me. So number one, the number one reason we can give thanks in every situation, in all circumstances, is we worship a supernatural, all-powerful God. Number two. That same God has a perfect plan for the life of every Christ follower. If you know Christ this morning, He has a perfect plan for your life. And then the third truth is that plan cannot be thwarted. He makes no mistakes. So we worship an all-powerful God. He has a plan for your life if you know Him. And He makes no mistakes. So no matter what the doctor says... No matter what wind blows through your city, no matter if you live on the coast and a typhoon comes through like it did in the Philippines not too long ago, we can hold on to those three truths and indeed give thanks in every situation. This week I was reading an author. His name, if I can find it, says it was Erwin Lutzer. And in one of his books, he talks about a time that he was on the boat. He was on a boat and uh, began to get seasick. The, the winds were, were blowing and the, the uh, uh, waves were kind of crashing the boat around. And he began to get seasick. And so he went to the captain of that small ship and he said, hey, you know, captain, I, I'm starting to not feel very well. And I think I'm getting seasick. And the captain so told him, here's what I want you to do. I want you to find the shore. Look to the shore and then find one spot and keep your eye focused on that one spot on the shore. And this is what he wrote. He said, I chose the Sears Tower and discovered in a few moments that I felt better. He, the captain, explained that the motion of the boat confuses our balance system. And if we look at the very object that is causing our movement, it will make us sick. But we can handle the ups and downs. If our eyes have a fixed object that is unmoved by our own vacillation. And that's exactly true in our lives. There's going to be ups. There's going to be downs. There's going to be good times. There's going to be bad times. And if we have our eyes focused on the circumstances around us, we will be driven by our feelings and driven by our circumstances all the days of our life. But, if you know Christ this morning, you can focus your eyes on something that doesn't move. Someone who doesn't move. 
And when the ups and downs of life come, if your eyes will stay fixed on him, just as this author said his eyes stay fixed on that tower, the immovable tower, you'll be able to go through this life with thanksgiving in every circumstance and in every situation. And then the text closes with this. It says, For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. In my notes I said, Every person who knows Christ is in Christ. This means that he's united to him, bound to him, not to an idea but to a person, a living person, crucified for sinners, raised from the dead, and reigning over all. That's the only way we can go through this life. Repaying evil for good. That's the only way we can go through this life. Rejoicing in every circumstance and in every situation. It's the only way we can go through this life. Praying, understanding, seeing how the Father is at work around us. And then thanking God in every situation. The only way that happens is if you're bound to Christ. If your eye is on the immovable person who never changes through all the ages. Juan Solomon is the pastor of a large church in Northern Virginia. It's, it's called McLean Bible Church. And he and his wife have a, a severe, uh, a daughter who has severe Down syndrome. Very severe. And he writes about a time, or speaks about a time, that, that they were in their darkest days. They were regularly going to the emergency room. He said that the, 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 the rescue squad didn't even have to look up his address anymore. If they heard it, they recognized it and knew exactly how to get to our house. I mean, it was dark, dark days. Severe seizures, CPR. Uh, they didn't know if she was going to make it. And in those darkest days... Um, uh, somebody came up to him at church one Sunday and gave him a little card. It, it was just a little three by five card, but on the three by five card, uh, it has it had this um, poem. And my notes just left me, and hopefully they'll come back up so I can read this poem to you. Here it is. He doesn't. He, he says today he doesn't even know who gave it to him. It was just a little this little piece of uh, of uh, three by five card. With his poem on it. And he said, in those dark days, he read this poem each and every day. And it helped sustain him through the darkest times in the battle of this Down syndrome that obviously his daughter still has today. The poem's entitled, He Maketh No Mistakes. And it says, My father's way may twist and turn, my heart may drop an egg, but in my soul I'm glad I know, He maketh no mistake. My cherished plan may go astray. My hopes may fade away. But still I'll trust my Lord to lead. For he doth know the way. There's so much now I cannot see. My eyesight, my eyesight far too dim. But come what may, I'll simply trust and leave it all to him. For by and by the midst of life and plan it all he'll make. Through all the way, though dark to me, he made not one mistake.
this morning. I don't know where you are in life. I know some of you are facing very difficult times. And if you focus on those, it's impossible to be thankful. But if you'll focus on the one who doesn't change and trust and understand that he does not make mistakes, even in this season, even in this time, you can go through life thankful. Let's pray. Father, I thank you this morning that you don't make a mistake. I pray that we were made focused on you like the, 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 the seasick man focused on the building. Lord, we know you're immovable. Circumstances don't move you. They don't shake you. You remain the same through all generations. Lord, I pray this morning that we'll have a deep-seated contentment, a deep-seated thankfulness that's not dependent upon our circumstances. And we'll know that it comes from you. Because we've seen each and every situation from your perspective. As we obey your word in Jesus' name. take this message and drive it deep in our hearts. Jesus said, you need to not only hear my words, but put them into practice. And that's what we need to do with this message. Thank you, Scott. Let's stand together. And if you have a decision this morning, if you want to talk to somebody or someone pray for you, need to take this home and put it in practice. Let's sing the song again about the goodness and the grace of the Lord. Celebrate and respond to Him.
Amen.